It is so good to be back with all of you. Uh, if you remember, um, two weeks ago when I was here, uh, we started walking through the lectionary, which is this unique um, path of scriptures uh, that have been laid out, I think it's fair enough to say, for centuries, uh, where they are designed in a three-year pattern of of scripture reading. Um, I think Josh and Kylie have followed that pattern last week when Kylie was here. Um, and, and it's so fascinating to me that this, this group of scriptures that are grouped together um, over this three-year pattern, just how much they apply each time they come back up again, um, where you would think that um, th it would feel sort of random and you wonder whether or not there's application. It's amazing to me how the Lord weaves those things together. Um, so when we were when we when I was here two weeks ago, we we talked a little bit um, through the Psalms about walking through fire and water and the, and the journey that that I see as an observer that God has taken you through as a church. You've been tested, you've been refined, you've been burdened, and now I really do believe you are in a place where you can recognize the abundance of God's favor and blessing. Uh, that is upon you. So I wanted to continue with the same theme today, and as I looked through the lectionary readings, um, as I was anticipating these two Sundays, it was amazing to me how that psalm and then the Old Testament passage for today came together so beautifully. So I, so I had already been planning um, this passage two weeks ago when I was here and, and read from the psalm. So I think that this is a bit of a... Um, a completion and a challenge, if you will. So today's lectionary reading takes us into Joel chapter 2, uh, verse 23 to 32. And before we get into reading um, that passage from Joel together, I want to just explain for a minute what the book of Joel is and, um, and who Joel was and why his book is so important uh, to us. So Joel was a prophet of Israel. The prophets were an interesting group of people. Remember, I mentioned a little bit last week, almost kind of in passing, um, but that, that Israel as a people um, had been ruled only by God and those people who were appointed by God and the people wanted a king. And they kept asking and demanding for a king. Um, and God said, you don't want a king. But they said, yes, we want a king. And so God gives them a king because that's what God does. When um, we ask him for things, he answers us. Um, sometimes he answers us because um, our requests are in alignment with him. And sometimes he answers us because he wants to demonstrate his power through us. And so he warned them, this is what it was going to be like. And it was. Um, but then God, in his grace, also provides a group of people who become his messengers to them, and they are the prophets, and they stand outside the official power structure of the culture. They are not, they're not part of the monarchy. They're not part of the official political leadership. They're not priests in the church. They are where the Spirit dwells. Um, we haven't fully been introduced to the person of the Holy Spirit just yet, but, but that is really where you can see the action of the Holy Spirit is in the prophets. And Joel is one of these people. He's God's mouthpiece. Um, they were given to speak truth to power. They kept the king in check, whether the king was aligned with God and his purposes or that king was working in opposition to God and his purposes. God gave prophets to um, act as a check, as a balance um, to that power. 
they were not always well received. Um, the prophets often were maligned. Sometimes they were killed. Um, they were um, not welcome in places because they came when they showed up. There was a word from God. And a lot of times that word from God was not um, happy. It was not a joyful message. It was a check. It was a check on their lives, and it was a check on the power structures, and it was a check on the way that they were operating. But the prophets did not so much predict the future. Sometimes when we think about um, the prophets, we can sort of confuse them um, with uh, crystal ball readers and tarot card readers and people like that who, who attempt to use things in order to predict what's going to happen. That's not so much their role um, of predictors of the future, although sometimes they did say, you know, here's what's going to happen. If these things don't fall into place, if you don't change, if these, then these things will happen. So there was a bit of a of a um, of a predatory pred pred like the word words are hard sometimes they didn't so much predict the future as they did speak to what was occurring in the present and how it would impact their future and that's what's happening um, in Joel chapter 2. Um, in the first part of Joel, which is not part of our reading today, let me just set that up for you um, before we get into the passage for today. God calls upon his people and says, hey, if you don't get your stuff together, if you don't turn from your wicked ways, if you don't stop living the way that you're living, then there are going to be things that are visited upon you. And he starts to talk about what he calls the day of the Lord. And, and there are some scholars who believe that that day of the Lord is actually pointing towards um, the second coming of Jesus. Now, we, have, we don't even have the first coming of Jesus yet at this point, but that day of the Lord is when everything is going to be reconciled together. Um, but what, what he's also talking about in this day of the Lord is God's anger being poured out upon the people, that they had disobeyed him long enough. And, and what is going to happen is that an army of locusts or grasshoppers are going to be unleashed upon the people. And you're talking about an agrarian society, very different from the one that we have here um, in, in our, our neck of the woods in LA, Santa Monica, Orange County. We're not, we're not farm people here. Um, but I grew up in farm country in middle America, and let me tell you, grasshoppers are not only gross, um, because when they come, they come in swarms, but they eat everything. They eat the bad stuff, they eat the good stuff, um, they are hungry creatures and they will eat anything in their path, and the more that they eat, the more that they multiply. And so they just stay around for a really long time, and they do a lot of damage. When the locusts show up, everything gets wiped out. And that's what God's warning about in the first part of chapter 2. Get your stuff together. Do the things that I've asked you to do. Turn from the way that you're living, or this is going to be visited upon you. And he actually tells the people, rend your hearts and that doesn't mean just, just change, just apologize. It means literally take your heart and transform it from what it has been to something else. When you rend your clothing, you tear it apart. You rip it up and take it from what it was and have to put it back together into something else. And that's what God is asking his people to do. 
But where we pick up in Joel chapter 2 in verse 23 is really fascinating because he's just given this whole 20 some odd verses of like, I am getting ready to unleash some serious nastiness upon you because of the way that you have been living. And then all of a sudden, we get to verse 21, which is just ahead of of our passage for today. So I'm actually going to start there um, in our reading. And all of a sudden, his tone switches. And instead of talking about all of the ways God is going to punish the people, he shifts what he's talking about. So let's pick this up in um, in verse 21. Surely he has done great things things. Be not afraid, O land. I mean, he's just told them that he's going to unleash a whole bunch of grasshoppers on um, their plants and their crops and their animals. But he says, be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. Because see, when the locusts come through and they eat everything, they take the food for the animals too. It's not just the people. It's, It's what the animals would eat in their pasture. But God is saying, be not afraid, even to the animals. The trees are bearing fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you autumn rains in righteousness. He will send you abundant showers with both autumn and spring rains as before. Can we just say, please, Jesus, send the autumn rains, right? Because we know we don't have locusts. We don't have grasshoppers. But we've got wind and we've got fire, right? And it destroys everything in its path, and it takes everything away. And so those autumn rains and those spring rains, um, I I don't know about you, but I just thought even the air this week, even if you're not close to where the fires are burning, it just feels like the air is just thick with that. Um, And all of us are are feeling that. And so I... uh, I co-sign on this to send those abundant showers, what we couldn't do with those. He goes on in verse 24 to say, the, the threshing floors will be filled with grain and the vats will overflow with wine and oil, but not just any kind of wine and oil, new wine and new oil, not the old stuff, not the way that it's always been done, not the way um, that, that, that what we've been storing up and saving and hoarding for ourselves, but he is going to have vats that overflow with new wine and oil. And then he says this in verse 25, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten the great locust and the young locust and the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you, I will repay you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed and then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God that there is no other, and never again will my people be shamed. He's going to repay them for everything that the locusts took. Now, I don't know about you, but when I am living in disobedience, when I am not following the path that I'm supposed to be following, as a parent, when my kids are not doing what it is that I have raised them to do, I don't look to their obedience as a way to pay them back 
for the punishments that I have bestowed upon them. Instead, I think the punishments are what have turned them around, and so perhaps we should instill more of those things because then they will stay where they are. But that is not what God says. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I can do to get your attention, and then I'm going to repay you. I'm going to actually give you back more than what you lost. I'm actually going to give you new things. I'm going to give you new abundance. And then the day of the Lord comes, and this is verse 28. Joel says, and afterwards, according to the word he's received from the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke, and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So God doesn't say he's not going to meet out his punishment upon the people. They, they still have to take ownership over the choices that they've made. They still have to take ownership over the lives that they've chosen. But he says, if you only do these things, then guess what I will do in response for you? But there's a couple of things I want to pay attention to, first of all. Even though we have walked through seasons where um, circumstances and hardship and even our own choices, right? Sometimes the sin that exists in our realm is not our own. Sometimes it's um, family. Sometimes it is culture. Sometimes it is, you know, we're feeling like, how do I navigate all of these things and balance these things? And sometimes the darkness that we're walking through is just circumstance. It's just, it's just the space that we're in. But, but we're not walking in obedience in those spaces, Instead, we're looking around at all of the circumstances and saying, surely God has abandoned us, so therefore we're not responsible for these things anymore. But what God says to us is this, be not afraid. In fact, be glad. Because even though the day of the Lord is hard and it is dark and God is going to make his power made manifest amongst the people and you're going to see just who God is, he also says, I will repay you. I will give you back more than what was taken from you. I will give you back new wine and new wineskins. I, I will return to you even greater than what was lost. Like, that's the beautiful thing about who God is. Yes, he has the ability to, to meet out punishment where we um, deserve, right? But he's not going to actually give us what we deserve. He's going he's gonna to show his power amongst us, and then he's going to give back to us even more that was taken from us. That is not the way the gods of the pluralistic society that the Hebrew children um, were living in at this, at this particular time. That is not the, the God of rain and the God of fire and the God of food and the, and, and the God of gold and the, and the God of fertility and all of the different gods that they had created for themselves because they wanted to be just like everybody else. That's a different kind of God. 
who says, even though I have to visit upon you some testing because I need something to get your attention, I'm not just going to take from you. Then you will know that I am God, not when I take from you, but when I return to you everything that has been taken. You see, because God does not just allow calamity in our lives just to punish us. Correction, yes, but, but, but punishment is, is something in and of itself. Punishment is meant to, um, as a stimulus, right? So it's like Pavlov's dogs, right? When, when they hear the bell, they go towards um, the door and then they get shocked, right? And so they hear the bell and they go towards the door and you would think, well, hey, if you're getting shocked, you would stop doing that. That's what punishment is. Punishment is something that we keep returning back to even though we know that it's painful. That's not what God is doing here. He's not simply punishing his people. He allows, however, seasons of testing and correction into our lives because he loves us. And that's why we can say things to our kids like, this is harder on me than it is on you. Right? And it's because I love you that I'm placing boundaries around you. Because we know just a little bit of what it means to love so deeply that you would do whatever it takes, including sending locusts to wipe everything out to get people's attention. That's how much I love you. He always, always, always wants to restore us to him. And when we recognize him, when we walk in obedience, when we turn from our wicked ways... God shows his love upon us by taking care of our everyday needs. Food, water, rain, new wine. The very land and the animals are included because they too know when God's face is turned towards us again. So if we care about those things, if we care about what our environment is like, when we care about whether or not our animals are cared for in the same way that we are cared for, we need to think about how we're living our lives because God cares about them too. But God does not just give us what we need. He wants so much more for us. He wants us to prosper even in our self-imposed exiles. You see, it's not just when things happen to us that God cares about these things. It's when we have brought these things to us that God cares about us. He restores what our sin, what our disobedience, what our deception, and what our circumstances have taken from us. You see, God does understand when things happen to us, but he's also asking us how do we respond in those situations. But it's not in his correction that we know God. You see, because that was what the culture told people, is that when the gods um, brought their punishment, that's when you knew that they were powerful. That's when you knew that they were um, operating um, as the gods in that society. But instead, he says it in verse 27, that it's in the restoration. It's in his good gifts. That's when you will know that he is God. Because our God is not a God of retribution, and he's not a God of rebuke and punishment. He is a God of correction and restoration, and he is a God of recreation. Then you will know that he is God, and that's what set him apart. 
but then we get really to the best part. When we have walked through fire and water and when we have been refined, God will restore all that he has taken from us. But that restoration is not just for us. It is for, a, for the glory of God so that others too will know. And this is where we get to verse 28. And I tell you what, this, this verse, this section of Joel chapter 2, where he says, and afterward, this is our birthright. This is who we are as believers in Jesus in 2019. When Joel says, when all of this is done, when, when you have turned your face back to me, when I have restored to you everything that's been taken, then guess what I'm going to do? Because it's not enough. It's not enough to just give you back everything that's been lost. No, 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 no. I'm going to change all the systems. I'm going to upend everything that we've done up to this point. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to, I'm going to look at the things that I set up as God and said, here's how you're going to operate. And here's the things that are going to happen. And here's the people who are in charge. And here's the people who talk for me. And here's the, the, the way that the systems operate. No, no, no. You turn your face back to me and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to pour out my spirit upon everyone, and I'm going to upend the social systems, and I'm going to upend the religious systems, and I'm going to end up the cultural systems, and I'm going to do things that you have never seen done before. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Here, God's going to do a new thing, and he's getting ready to bring out the new wine and the fresh food. And he says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. This is a new order of the way that they receive messages from God. You see, we're not going to need prophets and kings anymore because God is going to use men and women to speak his word to one another. He, this goes back to Genesis 1 and 2, where, where that original equality and that original mutuality between men and women gets restored. Guess what? It's not going to be this hierarchical order that man set up in order to be able um, to, to have control over things. No, 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 no. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon both men and women, and I'm going to restore the ways of receiving. Your old men are going to dream dreams. I don't know about you, but the older I get the less I dream the way I did when I was a young woman, the less I see the way I play a role in the future. But God says, when I pour out my spirit, old men are going to be like young men, and they're going to have dreams, and they're going to have goals, and they're going to have things that are, that are given to them that they can see that old men typically can't see because their time for seeing those things has passed but I'm going to make that happen again. Old men are going to dream dreams and give new insight and a restored future. But your young men are going to see visions. You see, in our youth, we often don't see from 35,000 feet. We see from right here in front of us when we're young. All that matters is today. I'm invincible. I can do all the things, right? But what God says is that young men are going to see visions. They're going to see things for the future about not just what is, but what can be. And so God's going to give insight to the young, and he's going to restore dreams to the old, and he's going to reconcile men and women together. Even on my servants, those who are called by God, when he talks about servants here, he's talking about that spiritual leadership. He's not just talking about his followers. He's talking about those 
who have distinct calls, even upon my servants, both men and women. Again, here's where God restores the equality and mutuality of Genesis 1 and 2. It's then that his spirit is poured out. And when this happens, he's going to show us wonders. He's going to show us things that we cannot even imagine and wrap our minds around. He is going to act in ways that we have not seen. We're going to see people healed. We're going to see lives restored. We're going to see marriages put back together. We're going to see governments change. We're going to see those things when God moves. He will show us wonders. He will deliver us. He will take us out of those spaces that have been harmful to us, and he will bring us to a place of security. He will do great and mighty things. But see, our surrender and our salvation is not just for us. None of these things say, I'm going to make you rich. None of these things say, I'm going to make you happy. None of these things say, I'm going to make your life perfect and secure. All of the restoration that God is giving to his people at this time and that he's giving to us is so that we can say, look at who the real God is. It's not the God of wealth and power. It is not the God of rain and sunshine. It is not the God of fire and water. It is the one true God who can do things above anything that we could ask or imagine. So the journey of obedience and restoration is for the glory of God to be poured out on all people. And if we think this is just for us, that this is just for us in the church, that we are owed this from God, we are greatly mistaken. Because all of this is for the world, for others. But like I said, this is our birthright and our promise. You see, because we're the Acts 2 church. See, it wasn't just Joel in this chapter where we hear this. Instead, it's on the day of Pentecost where the Spirit is poured out. Jesus has, has died, he has been resurrected, and he has ascended back to heaven, and his people are scared. They're wondering what's going to happen what do we do now that he's not here with us, right? It's that song. It's that alabaster jar song, right? The poor are always going to be with you, but I'm not always going to be with you. So what are you going to do while I'm here? Well, now we're in that post moment. And the people are gathered together and they're waiting for that promise of the Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out and people think people have lost their minds. In fact, they accuse them of being drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, now, I don't know about you, um, but I bet that there's some folks around us who could attest to what 9 a.m. drunkenness looks like, right? And that's what they were accused of because they had never seen anything like this before. And Peter gets up and he says, wait a minute, nobody's drunk at 9 a.m., not here in this place, perhaps in some other places, but not here in this place. But instead, he says, remember that prophecy from Joel? Remember the old books, the ones that we go back to to look at how this is going to happen? Guess what? That's what all of this is. We are here in Los Angeles, where in 1906, Azusa Street became the center point of a new outpouring of God's spirit. We are the heirs of this prophecy. Joel gave it to the people of Israel. Peter stood at the day of Pentecost and gave it to the first century church. God gave it to us right here in LA in the last century. 
But I believe that God is asking us to step up and to claim this as our own. This is what I am believing for you in the days ahead. That the promise of Joel chapter 2 will be claimed by you. And we will see great and mighty things, not just from each one of you individually, but from this church collectively. I really do believe that God is going to restore what the locusts have eaten, what has been taken from you. And I don't even know what all of that is. Like I said, I've just been an observer from the outside of what your journey these last few years has been like. But I just feel really deeply that there are things that have been taken from you. And that I want you to know that God is going to restore those things. And he will give back to you more than you could ever ask or imagine. God is going to provide new wine, and he will fill you physically, emotionally, and spiritually from these new gifts. God is going to pour out his spirit upon you, men and women, young and old, because this is the year of the Lord's favor. And we are getting ready to move into a new year because the lectionary doesn't start in January. The lectionary starts at Advent, and we are coming up on the season of Advent. And so my challenge to you is, church, that in these next four weeks, as we lead up to that Advent season, as we leave what, what the lectionary calls ordinary time, and we move into a new church calendar, that God is going to do for you what you could never have imagined that these seats will be filled, that this space will not be able to contain you, that you are going to see signs and wonders in this place like you have never seen before. Because what other people intended for your destruction, what the enemy thought he could do to this vision, to this dream, is nothing compared to what God is getting ready to do. And so in this year, we proclaim it as this is the year of the Lord's favor, not as a prosperity doctrine that is full of human ideas of wealth, health, and happiness, but favor, blessings, and graciousness, so that once again, Los Angeles and Santa Monica will see, and they will know that God is at work here in this place. And so I do plan on coming to see you again. This is not just it. But let me say to you today, because it's the last time I might be with you for a while, I am excited about what God is getting ready to do. This is not the end of the story. This is just a beginning of the restoration of the story. And even those who have been with you in your past are going to look upon what's happening, and they're going to know they could never have taken you to this place. They could never have gotten you to this space. And God used them for a season, and then he pulled them out. And then he used somebody else for a season, and he pulled them out. But God is saying to you today, I am getting ready to give you back everything that the locusts have taken from you. I'm getting ready to pour out my spirit upon you. Are you ready for those things? 
that we have to search our own hearts today. We have to search our own minds and say, what are the ways in which I've been walking in disobedience because I've been discouraged? I've been, I've been um, unsure of what's going to happen. I've, I, I haven't been fully committed. What is going to happen in that space? And God is going to restore that. When you turn your face back to him, he will do for you individually and he will do collectively for this church. And we will come back to this place and we will say to God be the glory. Great things he has done and greater things he has yet to do. That's my blessing upon you this morning. I love you guys and I look forward to being back with you again.